0: This is TV Podcast Industries and we're talking about season one of Penny Dreadful episode six what death can join together. penny faithful this is derek one of your hosts of tv podcast industries we're talking about episode six of penny dreadful what death can join together
1: hello there fellow penny faithful i am one of your other hosts john yes what a great line that was from victor frankenstein as well what life divides, only death can join together. Uh, really, kind of nice twist on the normal marriage rites um, that are, are normally given mm-hmm. about what love can join together. Yeah, only death, death can tear apart. Yeah. Yes, yeah.
0: quite, quite interesting idea, isn't it? Let's get into our discussion about episode six of Penny Dreadful. As we mentioned before, what we're doing is talking about our major point, our major moment from each of the episodes as we go through. All 27 episodes of Penny Dreadful before the release of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Once again, this episode was directed by Koki Guidrick and written by showrunner John Logan. John, do you want to give us a summary of this episode?
1: Sure. Vanessa senses Mina's whereabouts to be on a ship in the Port of London. So Malcolm scans the shipping news for any clues and he, Sembene and Ethan head for the docks. They locate a ship that sailed from Egypt several months ago but has been quarantined since its arrival. The hold is filled with vampires and also Mina, who is taken away before she can be rescued. Meanwhile, Dorian Gray invites Vanessa on an adventure and they later have dinner together. While having sex, Vanessa is possessed by her evil spirit. Elsewhere, Victor Frankenstein completes the autopsy on Fenton and finds nothing unexpected. However, Professor Van Helsing tells him of the existence of vampires. Mm-hmm. While Brona's health continues to deteriorate, she tells Ethan she regrets her behaviour towards him the previous evening at the Grand Guignol. It's very difficult to say Guignol. I, know. I Guignol, Guignol. It's a bit like the director, Cokie uh, Gydrick. Uh, Gydrick is, is spelt very differently than I would have thought, uh, and I keep thinking of... Let's do the hokey-cokey every time you say his name. But he is delivering some great direction here. I
0: was told when we started podcasting, what, six years ago at (laughs) this stage, I was always told that just speak with confidence. If you don't know a name, speak with confidence and you should be able to pass through it. Just don't point out when you know you've said something wrong. So thanks, John. (laughs) I'm hoping I've pronounced his name correctly in the last two episodes. I think so. (laughs) Uh, John, do you want to give us your big moment from episode six? This was a pretty... Big episode. Really, it so.
1: was, uh, and it was really difficult to kind of think what I should pull out here. But I've taken Professor Van Helsing mm-hmm. that we've already seen earlier uh, in um, the series, where he's he's talking about the the blood condition. He's the consultant hematologist, mm-hmm. um, but he has a more intimate discussion here with um, with Victor Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and he talks about um, that. Malcolm Murray doesn't know what he is haunting, yet he does quite intimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about his knowledge of vampires. Uh, and I think one of the things that really was nice here was the link to um, a Penny Dreadful called Varney the Vampire by James Malcolm Reimer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, whilst this was folklore, it did capture the truth mm-hmm. uh, that there were vampires out there. He also talks about his intimate knowledge of vampires. We heard of Hannah's wink uh, previously, uh, the technique that he used um, to determine uh, the vampire blood effectively. Yes, named after his wife. Named it? after his wife. Where then he matter-of-factly tells Victor that he drove a stake through her heart and cut off her head, because mm-hmm. she had been turned, she had been turned by this creature that samalcolm is is hunting and really has very little knowledge of what it's about, yeah. its background. So I thought this was really nicely done. Absolutely.
0: And another interesting character for Penny Dreadful, as we mentioned before, along with Victor Frankenstein and Dorian Gray, you know, another character from fiction that's being brought into um, the, these stories on Penny Dreadful, someone that comes along with their own added pressure, I suppose, of who they are. Um, it's interesting that we're seeing um Van Helsing towards the end of his life here so he's already gone through all of his adventures going around the world trying to kill vampires or trying to hunt down Dracula effectively yeah. which is where he's from um, but he's already gone through all of those adventures and he's getting to the end of his life meeting this young guy in Victor Frankenstein and telling him I used to be obsessed with my work so much so That I was able to kill my wife when she was turned. I was able to drive a stake through her heart and cut off her head, even though I loved her more than life itself. But he's imparting that wisdom to Victor to not fall into his work so much. And I don't think he understands how much his work will affect Van Helsing, but he's telling him not to fall into his work so much that he is not following on the dreams and love that he should be able to follow on as a young man. Because um, Van Helsing is effectively saying here, "I wasted a lot of my life doing all of these things on my own when I could have spent more time with the woman he loved." So, uh, so I think that's a really important conversation that they have. And because the character comes along with that pressure of being a major character in Dracula as a novel, I think it's quite a shocking exit from the show that we have.
1: Right? Definitely. I mean, I, I, I think, um, you know, just before we go on to that shocking yeah. exit, it, it, it is the you know the parallel lives of victor and van helsing you know this obsession with the work and i i really like that intimate moment as you say where uh van helsing is kind of cautioning him against being too obsessed mm-hmm. where everything else um it, it is blotted out uh from uh victor's life yeah i think the other interesting thing is is james malcolm reimer with varney the vampire mm-hmm. um I don't know whether this was this penny dreadful was used or maybe partly an inspiration to Bram Stoker but effectively that this came before um Bram Stoker's Dracula mm-hmm. so that there is this element here where Bram Stoker took a uh, a penny dreadful you know th- this I suppose slashy um horror sort of throwaway dig- very digestible throwaway and added this this law around it uh, yeah. in in dracula but I, I i like the fact as well that it, it, in a sense van helsing's kind of phrase that um whilst it was folklore it still captured the truth and um, that in a sense, Bram Stoker tried to put a truth around the notion that these creatures exist right. within his novel, yeah. and I thought that was um, really uh, nicely
0: done. Yeah, the penny dreadfuls themselves were serialized stories coming out every week in newspapers or even their own short form published. I think we mentioned it before that they were like the comic books of their day, um, where they were coming out every week, which led me to make the connection instantly i don't know whether you remember this movie as well as i do i'm sure you do john of course the lost boys yes uh, great film but the frog brothers and the lost boys yeah. who own the comic book shop when sam comes to the town and his brother michael they come to the town for the first time and they discover there's vampires in the area he goes into the comic shop to buy himself a superman number one and the frog brothers they're going no these are the comics you need to read these are your survival manuals and they give him tomb of dracula they give him some of the other horror comic books to explain to explain what's going on in the town so this moment with Van Helsing bringing um, Victor in and showing him some of the Penny Dreadfuls that could be his survival manual to this uh, outbreak of vampires in London it really did remind me of that scene in uh, in The Lost Boys yeah. Uh, which I know may not have been the inspiration for the scene for John Logan <laughs> because it's a bit more of a popular movie than he's used to but I like that there's a little parallel between the two and it does feel very similar doesn't it it's the idea that somebody has tapped in To the fact that there is in existence these supernatural beings, but they're using it for entertainment. But if you know how to read it, you actually may be able to use this as your survival manual.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what's really interesting as well is that you know, when Van Helsing uh, is asking Victor, do you know the term vampire? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he he says these creatures know the limits and go beyond the limits of life and death, mm-hmm. which is effectively what Victor Frankenstein is doing with others. There, there, yeah. There's that synergy between the, what Van Helsing is talking about within this um, creature, a vampire, and what Victor is doing through science mm-hmm. and and through different means in terms of bringing people alive and making their life. Uh, longer uh, yeah. and more infinite in a, in a sense
0: yeah. uh, I, I thought that was really good Absolutely. Um, I'm not sure if we're clear though, that the um, Penny Dreadful that was that was in the TV show Varney the Vampire is a true Penny Dreadful, it was released at the time, written by James Malcolm Reimer uh, he also wrote a Penny Dreadful called The String of Pearls, which introduced the world to a very famous uh, British folklore character of Sweeney Todd, um, he appeared in the pages of this Penny Dreadful, it's attributed to James Michael Reimer, it's a a long time ago, that these attributions get mixed up a, a lot, but um, but he's supposed to have been the one that wrote The String of Pearls featuring Sweeney Todd, who's been, gone on to become such a famous character, the Barber of, uh, of Fleet Street, um, killing all the people yeah. and cooking them up in pies. Uh, was in a Penny Dreadful that somebody would have been reading on a weekly basis, running down to their local shop to find out how that story completed, and it became a massively famous character in film and, and TV over the years. And music.
1: There, so. And musicals. And musicals, yes. Yes. Yeah. Moving to van helsing's ultimate demise mm. um i found this a real shock and i suppose i have to be honest here uh, a real shame um but caliban um effectively pulls van helsing down a, a side passage uh whilst him and victor are having a continued conversation about you know what they're doing mm-hmm. uh, and, and about vampires about hannah about their lives uh, and Caliban pulls him aside and in front of Victor uh, snaps his neck Um, and you're kind of thinking oh I would have loved to have seen more of Van Helsing because this was a real nice juicy kind of intimate moment between Victor and Van Helsing Uh, but ultimately Caliban here is sending a message to Victor to stop um, allowing what he thinks as his distractions Mm -hmm. um, from his goal to provide caliban with his bride yeah. with his his mate and um, and lover effectively Um so i thought this was just like completely unexpected yeah. completely shocking and david warner is such a good character yeah actor as absolutely and
0: well. so many tv shows and so many movies as well that you just don't expect him to go out like that you know he's mid-sentence and just Banged over the head, dragged down the street and his, and his neck's broken without any further to do about it. And Caliban throws him to the ground and says, and that's what's going to happen to everybody you love, everybody you talk to that isn't involved in creating this bride for me. Yeah. Um, to, to kind of circle back on the episode itself this is the episode where Caliban has been watching Maude the actress from the play he's been treated very nicely by her and he feels there's something kind of relationship between the two of them building up he feels maybe I don't need a bride built for me because this woman seems to like me and then he finds out that she has a fiance and she's kind of cruelly joking about him behind his back there's no way that I'm in love with anybody else other than you kind of thing as he's watching on so Caliban is massively angry here about his lot in life once again it's an interesting characters and we talked about it with Ray when we were talking about our earlier episodes that Caliban is a character that you absolutely sympathize with or empathize with and then it comes to this point where you're looking at Victor with his only friend that could actually help him <laughs> yeah, out. absolutely someone that might actually put him on a better path than he's been on with Van Helsing maybe if the two of them work together it may not be as horrible a life for Victor as it seems to be turning out like but Caliban just interrupts the whole situation and snaps the neck of Van Helsing Ending that friendship straight there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Derek, what is your um, big moment for episode six?
0: I think the battle on the plague ship with um, Sabene, uh, Malcolm and Ethan is kind of a big moment. Oh, for, yeah. You know, it's not just because it's a fight sequence or anything like that. It's also because I love the um, moment where Ethan arrives to join these other two that he hasn't really signed up with. Remember, he didn't make the pact with Malcolm that everybody else made. He made the pact that he would... Work with Vanessa, whatever she said would go. But Vanessa's off on her date with with Dorian, so he's come along right. with these other two to go on the attack on this on this plague ship. One thing I always find interesting with these scenes because they're they're high action scenes, right? So they're directed as action scenes. But one thing I really like about this is Ethan doesn't really know what Mina looks like, and within a couple of seconds of anybody with blonde hair attacking him, he just shoots them in the head with his <laughs> I amazing gun skills. And there is moments where you kind of going... Well, they look at all the bodies afterwards and go, oh, no, Ethan killed Mina the minute he arrived and and took her out. Luckily, she's wearing a white dress every time we see her, not not the black outfit of the rest of them. But I do like the scene. I think Sembede comes across as such a great warrior in here as he takes out his two uh, curved blades. They are
1: awesomely cool so cool, yeah. so
0: cool. Uh, and he just takes out everybody around him and saves Ethan and Malcolm on multiple occasions through this I think if he wasn't there we see that Malcolm would have been killed by the overhead beam that burns and falls down uh, in between himself and Mina and, and the master as she's taken away so uh, I think it's a really good dynamic scene but I do like it shows the relationship between all these characters you know I feel like Simbena is going along with Malcolm to these excursions or these expeditions to save Malcolm's life and do what Malcolm couldn't do um, we hear from Malcolm earlier on in the episode that he would be willing to sacrifice Vanessa just to save his daughter and he'd do anything to save his daughter but Simbene's is the one that questions but what happens if she's not if she can't be saved and Malcolm's response is no but that that's what happens if I get her back then she will be saved and Simbene going we both obviously come from two very different places I understand when there are points when someone can't be saved and I'm willing to do what you can't do kind of thing. Yeah. So, and um, this whole series really is, there's that point of realization from Malcolm, isn't it? That potentially he may have to accept that his daughter can't be saved at some point And what does he do?
1: Yeah. I love Sam I th- I think that Frank discussion with, with Malcolm and, it's repeated throughout the second half of Penny Dreadful as well, between Malcolm and Vanessa, but also um, Vanessa in her own letters to to Mina mm-hmm. uh, about that love will hold them back from doing what is absolutely necessary, which is to kill. And, and it's always that Malcolm would never be able to do that to his own daughter, Mina, mm-hmm. and it would require either Zembené or Vanessa to do that. I think Vanessa says that in episode 5 where she goes, "I love you enough to kill you." And she believes that Malcolm doesn't have that. Um, Sembene thinks that, you know, Malcolm will never see the lost cause in his own daughter. Yeah. Uh, so that's really nice. Uh, I love the fight, um for sure. And I, I yeah, I was thinking there's so much guns being fired off and um, how do they know that it's um meaner or not i was also kind of intrigued that guns are working on the the brides of dracula mm. um in that i always thought it would have to be you know the stake through the heart or the um exposure to sunlight right. or, or the the cross being held up uh, but here i think Matter of factly, guns work on them, uh, and and that's it. But John, that's just folklore. It didn't it capture did <laughs> the tr- the, <laughs> some of the
0: truth. But but a gun through the head, yeah, that'll sort you exactly. But I'm, I'm not sure whether all of those uh, brides of of Dracula, all the, those servants of the vampire. I'm not sure whether all of those are dead. I think it does knock some of them out uh, a lot of times. They tend to get swarmed quite a lot. They do. And um, the the our three main characters tend tend to get swarmed quite a few times here. But I'm not sure whether it's brand new ones over and over again, or whether the others are getting knocked down and coming back. It's not really put on screen for us uh, that they're actually killing them there. Yeah. Uh, until the end, I suppose towards the end as the fire is raging um, and we see the master escaping with his bride, I suppose his proper bride um, in Mina. I think at the end, it's only the two of them that are getting out of this plague ship as the fire is raging on.
1: Yeah. That de- definitely it's again, it's just one of those things where you kind of go, like, oh, the guns are working. But I think you're right that it doesn't necessarily work first time. And yeah, you definitely get that swarming element mm-hmm. from the nest. Because uh- in the
0: same way, you know, all of these main characters with some better, um, Malcolm and Ethan have all been jumped on by one of these vampires. They are thrashing at their necks and that kind of stuff. In other media, it would only take a moment with a vampire at your neck to be killed or be turned into a vampire right so uh depending on what you're watching whereas in these ones they are attacked they are knocked to the floor they ha- have got those teeth thrashing at them but none of them have been bitten by the end of the episode right none of them have been bitten by the end of the fight there's no question over any of them being bitten or uh, or that any any kind of damage being caused to them so uh so that's quite interesting as well
1: yeah and um, for sure um i think Two final things for me on this point is uh, one of them I had in notes actually mm-hmm. uh, but it, I I like the fact that they're on a ship in the port of London in, in Bram Stoker's um book uh, on Count Dracula mm-hmm. you know he comes to London uh, by ship That's right. um in a coffin filled with the earth of his homeland mm-hmm. um and so th- this idea that it, this is the master uh, having come to London from well, Egypt in this case is yeah. a suggestion, or or from Transylvania, or you know the Eastern Europe yeah. uh, in the coffin of uh, his own soil is the soil of his homeland. I, I think is 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 a nice little nod to to that, um, and also I just really like the animalistic nature and look of the vampire. It it's very unrefined compared to um an I suppose a number of Dracula adaptations. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he he's he's not seen as this suave human formed um person mm-hmm. this is someone who is looks ancient and uncomplicated and raw in nature right and i, I find that fascinating i and yeah. i really like it as well i like the fact that these are distinct from humans and actually yeah. are in hiding and um, so i i find that interesting
0: yeah absolutely like it is one of those things that's added as a layer isn't it of of, of fear that not only are they supernatural beings that can tear your throat out and kill you they in some stories they can pass for human as well so that adds that extra layer of oh i just passed a man in the street well maybe he could be a vampire because he's hidden underneath uh, that the vampire part of him is hidden you know but in this case you're right these people couldn't be walking down the street none of them could walk down the street in the middle of the day or at night time and pass for a human that's not what happens they and they are attacking and they're they're like a a nest of of evil creatures that are just picking off their victims as they go. They're not trying to pass for human. They are completely different. So, yes. Uh, so, yeah, really interesting in, in this, uh, seeing this much, I suppose, of the vampires in the episode. But, yeah, that was my um, my big point for episode six. Uh, any notes on the episode that we haven't discussed, John?
1: Just for me, I loved Caliban's face through the grill oh, yeah. uh, as he's looking uh, into Maud's dressing room, the actress. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very cool, very spooky, uh, and it's because... He's given her a book, Paradise Lost by Milton that you know it's an epic poem mm-hmm. around the fall of 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 man the temptation of adam and eve but also um the the fall of lucifer um to become satan uh, and we have that kind of interesting exchange where um Maud gives Caliban an orange is kind of in there and talks about her brother who had had an accident and scarred him as well and his name was lucifer mm-hmm. they call him luke so caliban pr- gives this book uh to to Maud um, so I thought that was... A kind of a nice little moment again. Caliban's fall, uh, as a man into this new form, this monster, yeah. the demon, um, as, as he's been called previously. Um, sort of th- those kind of parallels there uh, as well. So yeah, I thought that was a nice little, uh, spooky moment. It kind yeah. of almost reminded me of Scream with the white mask. Oh, it, really? His complexion was so pale behind mm-hmm. the grill. The grill is, is so dark. That it, it, you just sense that he was wearing almost like a Phantom of the Opera mask, and right. um, that kind of thing actually <laughs> it might be more appropriate than the scream mask. But... Although
0: I was thinking Michael Myers, like I was thinking yeah. of those types is, of horrors, yeah, yeah definitely uh, that kind of stalking creature behind uh, behind the grill. We didn't mention them in this episode because it's going to be more important in episode seven. But the moments between Dorian and Vanessa where they have sex and she eventually gets possessed by her demon again, um. I think there it's a really interesting scene it's a fascinating scene where we see the two of them uh, interacting with each other and see how close they are in personality I suppose or how similar they are in their view of the world and um, I like that Dorian's kind of seeing her as someone that's an equal to him uh, a lot of the time he sees her perspective on life as being quite equal to him um but I also like that that Vanessa calls him out about the paintings in his uh, in his house about them all being portraits. There's no landscapes. There's no animals. Yeah. It's all portraits around him. Uh, interestingly, in the last week since we recorded part one of Penny Dreadful, I read the book, uh, The Portrait of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. I just had to after being so repulsed, I suppose, by the character of Dor- Dorian Gray on the show. I wondered whether Oscar Wilde had a different perspective on the character. And not really. He is an a-hole in the book as well. Um, <laughs> he's just a very young a-hole who other people seem to perceive as being a really nice person until he ruins their life. So, uh, so that's kind of the way it, the way it goes throughout the book. Like he, he gets his comeuppance as as you always would in these types of books. But it's a really good read. Actually, I highly recommend it to you, John, to uh, to have a read of that. Um But I kind of like how they've translated this character into the show. He's a little bit less. Punished by the world, then Dorian Gray kind of is in the book uh we have this guy who's kind of floating through life um getting everything he wants, but he wants more and more and more, and he's he's ravenous for more and more and more, so getting someone like Vanessa for Dorian would be a massive prize, I suppose, and what happens here is she changes, she has the possession by the demon. I love that moment when they're having sex where she throws him gets on top, and we just hear the voice of the demon through her going. Oh, what games we will now play. You know, it's almost that Hellraiser moment, you know? Yeah, it's like
1: she's opened a channel or mm-hmm. she's let her guard down. Absolutely. And, and that's allowed the dark one to come,
0: come in. Exactly. And do you know what it reminded me of? Go on. Another one. Uh, Angelus returning uh, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, where we had Angel and Buffy going through this typical teenage kind of romance. And then they finally have sex. And what happens? He has that one perfect moment of happiness. And Angelus, the evil vampire, suddenly appears back into his life, taking over the the lovely angel who's been so protective of Buffy. He's now completely changed because he had that one true moment of happiness and it almost feels like that's the same thing that's happened yep. to Vanessa here she's met her match she's met someone that she could possibly spend some time with and the two of them have, have a great intimate relationship and the minute it happens the demon rears its ugly head behind her saying now we can play some games now I'm going to possess you again I just think it's a really good yeah. uh, twist you know I know a reference to Buffy Buffy is seen by some people as being just a standard teenagers TV show but it had some true moments of great oh, horror really, in there. Could, yeah uh, but there's nothing more horrific i think in that show than having buffy falling in love with the character and then that character having that moment of happiness and turning into them into the monster again so uh, so i think there's a, a nice parallel between those two yeah definitely that's it for our points on episode six is it it certainly is excellent we'll be back later in the week with our discussion on episode seven of penny dreadful season one possession
1: it is nine tenths of the law <laughs>
0: Hi, this is Derek again. I just want to take the opportunity to say another huge thank you to all of our supporters over on Patreon. Thanks to each of you, these episodes are possible, and I'm hoping you're enjoying our rewatch of Penny Dreadful. Thank you to Amy, Claire, Into the Night at Midnight podcast, John, Oren, Robert, Steve, and Stuart, and to our new patrons, Jessica and Rich. Your support really means a lot to all of us here at TV Podcast Industries. Hope you're enjoying it. Keep on listening, and thank you so much.